0: Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to and not in place of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Okay, let's get into the Word together, and I have a message that I am entitled, Are You a Heretic? Gone a little silent. Are you a heretic? Now, because I'm going to be talking on that topic, I need a lot of prayer, so I need you to join me in just a quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your grace. Lord, I really feel that you gave me this word for this morning, for this church, Lord God. But Lord, we know that it can't be communicated with natural words. It must be a work of the Spirit of God, which is what we're gonna talk about today. So Holy Spirit, we call on you. We have not been left as orphans on this earth. You have been given to us as a precious gift from the Trinity. And we ask now that you would take this word, you would search our hearts, you would pull out wrong beliefs, wrong systems, false teachings, you would get a hold of it, and you would set our belief system right. You would bring us from a place where we believe things and practice heresy into a place where we are completely aligned with the Word of God. Holy Spirit, we commit it to you now, and we thank you. Amen? Amen. All right, open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. and just set it on your lap just for a moment because we're going to get into it. You know, growing up, my mom was always heavily involved in our community, and I've shared it a number of times from this pulpit. My my mom served as president of the Board of Our Education for a number of years. She served on town council. She served as our town mayor. She's actually still serving as freeholder over our county that I grew up uh, living in. And because my mom was so engaged in politics, I spent a lot of time at the municipal building. I went down there, and and it was always interesting when you drove in. Because when you came into the parking lot, there was like this little grass patch right in front of the building that had some pavers. And it was right at the main intersection of the town. And they were always displaying signs about different events and different info and things that were happening. But once a year, every single year, the fire department would take this wrecked car, I mean, this car has been charred in a fire, it has been crushed, it's been cut in half, and they would put the car right there on the spot. And the car was kind of a warning from all the EMT workers to everybody who was driving or or they were walking by of what could happen if you made the choice to drink and to drive. Anyone ever see these types of displays before? Anyone ever see, right? They're terrifying, right? you look at them and you think to yourself as you're kind of walking by, you're seeing it for the first time, you're thinking, why in the world would they put that right there? Right there in front of the main intersection of the town. Right there across the street from the playground where all the kids are playing. That isn't something that you wanna come in contact with or you wanna see every single day, right? It's not something you really wanna have to face and what you have to understand is that a lot of the bible when you read it is like that wrecked car there's a lot of truth in the word of god that warns us and deals with different circumstances and situations in our lives that we don't always want to hear that we don't always want to have to face but when you really get into the word and you read it cover to cover over and over and over again you begin to realize that sometimes the most loving thing you could do as a person is to speak the truth and to be honest. And that's exactly what's happening in our next portion of Scripture that we're going to read today. 2 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1-11, through 11, and I'm going to warn you, this isn't something you're going to hear. This isn't something you want to face. You're going to have to strap in when we read it together. Listen to what the Word says. It says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, though they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. Now verse 2 and 3 again, let me read it to you. It says, Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Now as I was reading that passage, it was verse 2 and 3 that popped up at me. And, And Peter says this. He says, there's going to be false teachers and there's going to be heresies that are going to come up among you. And he goes on and he says, many of you are going to follow their conduct and they're going to exploit you. And as I began to read that, I began to pray. I began to ask the Lord. And this was my question. I said, God, why is it that so many people, so many Christians are going to follow false teaching? Because verse 2 says that there will be many. Didn't say a few. Didn't say part of the church. Didn't say 10%. He said, many of you are going to follow these heresies. Many of you are going to follow this conduct. And when I hear that as a pastor, that that begins to raise a red flag. I get really concerned and I start asking the Lord, why is that? And as I was praying, as I was reading, as I was pacing back and forth in my study, which is really my bathroom because my kids now own everything in the house. As I'm just in my bathroom and I'm pacing back and forth, I felt like God began to reveal something to my heart and I began to realize that the issue is not with the false teachers. The issue is not with the false teaching. The issue is with the makeup of those who are being deceived. In fact, let me show you what I mean from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Let me read it to you. It says this. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The Bible says, Because of the fall of man, we have a wicked, sinful, unbelieving heart. And it is a heart that is constantly fighting against the truth of God. In fact, let me, let me give you a comment. Let me say something to you. And then just think it all the way through just for a moment. Because at first you're going to say, I don't know if that's true. But as we think through it, as we work through it, you're going to realize that is exactly true. That is the reality. And it's this. Let me, let me say this. Ready? Your heart does not want to believe that God truly loves you. Your heart doesn't want to lay hold of that reality. It fights against it with everything inside of itself. In fact, let me use an example to try to nail the point home. Let me, many of you, I know most of your faces, you come to church almost every single week. You're involved in community groups, you're involved in Wednesday nights. How many people in church, honestly, in just a given week, tell you that God loves you? we we hear it from everybody you hear it when you walk in the doors i hear paul greeting people every sunday god loves you god loves you god loves you right you get prayed over and they pray over you god loves you right You have people in your community group. Do you know that God loves you this week? We we hear it constantly. And then we begin to get into the Word and we start studying the Scriptures for ourselves and the Spirit of God comes. And He begins to highlight verses and different things and He begins to show us that we have a Heavenly Father. He begins to show us we're children of God. He begins to show us the love of the God that we actually serve. And if that wasn't enough... Everybody in this room is listening to hours and hours and hours of worship music every single week. We listen to it when we go to work. We listen to it when we run our errands, right? And we're declaring these things over ourselves over and over and over again. But if one little thing goes wrong in our day, if one little thing goes wrong in our family, what happens? our heart rises up inside of us and says, see, I told you God doesn't love you. I told you you couldn't trust in the love of God, and we begin to doubt God's faithfulness. We've heard it a million times, but just one incident, one trial, one issue, and all of that just goes out the window. Or let me do it this way. Let me me give another example to try to get this point home. How many of you have grown up in families or you had aunts or uncles or fathers or mothers or you've had peers, friends, teachers when you were growing up, mentors, and they would tell you this. They would tell young women, you're a beautiful young lady or young men. You're a handsome young man, right? Nikki, how many times do you tell your grandkids that, right? How many times do you speak it over them and you listen to this and everybody's telling you, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're handsome, you're handsome, you're handsome, right? But if one person... On your sports team, one person in your high school tells you you're fat, you're ugly, or you're stupid. Just one voice. Which one did you believe? You don't believe all the other voices that told you you're beautiful. You don't believe all the other voices that God made you fearful and wonderful. You don't believe any of that. You know what you believe? Just that one voice that told you you're stupid or you're ugly or you're fat. I know this by experience because I am fat. See, see what it does to your mind? And here comes the question. Why does that happen? Why does our heart always have the propensity to side with the negative? Why is our heart always listening to the lies instead of listening to the truth? And the reality is because Scripture is telling us because of the fall of man, we have an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, we've received a new heart in Christ with a new nature. Yes, we've been born again, but we still carry that old nature with us. And we're at war with it. It fights against us when it comes to truth. See, with that laid as a foundation, I want to go even further into 2 Peter And I want to bring out two things, two statements that Peter's making. And I want you to hear this. I want you to write it down. Number one, he says this. There is heresy. It exists. He didn't say there might be some false teachers. He didn't say there might be some heretical stuff. He says it is out there, it is in the church, and you're going to come in contact with it. Right? And then he says this. And not only is there heresy, but he tells us that heresy is destructive. It's destructive. Let me put something up on the screen, and you're really going to hate me this morning, but you just bear with me. Let me put it up, and I want to read it to you. You might want to take a picture of this. It is possible to be an orthodox Christian to accept all the right truths of the Bible and still be a practicing heretic. You can agree with all the doctrines of Scripture and still be deceived by false teaching. And many of the false teachers that we come in contact with come from within the church. That's what Peter's speaking about. But listen to me. Many of the false teachings and the heresies that we come in contact with come from our culture and our society as well, which we don't always think about as Christians sometimes. We are constantly being bombarded with lies and heresy every single day. Let me give some examples. We live in a time where our scientists, our media, our school systems, our government are telling us we are all accidents, we are mistakes. That somehow the conception of life all happened from the beginning of time by a few dust particles that were up in the universe somewhere that collided into each other and there was a big bang. And through the power of evolution, we grow up from these single-cell organisms into these complex human beings that are sitting here in these seats today. It's lies. It's heresy. And we sit under it all the time. It's constantly being broadcast into our brains. It's constantly being broadcast into our hearts. And if that wasn't enough, we have voices all around us. We have voices from our family members sometimes. From parents, from fathers, from mothers, from aunts, from uncles. We have voices from our friends, our peer groups, from our job, from our boss, from our mentors, from the devil himself. And all these voices are making statements that are heretical according to the word of God. They're telling us things like this You're a loser, you're a failure, you're hopeless, you're worthless. Nobody wants you around the devil speaking those things in our ears we're saying them to each other how many of you as parents when you went through a hard time with your kids you heard the enemy speak to you you're the worst parent on the earth right right we we are constantly coming in contact with all of these lies that are swirling around us these heretical voices that are swirling around us and then we come to the bible then we come to prayer. Then we come to the church, and we start hearing what God actually speaks about Himself and what He actually speaks about us. He starts to tell us that He's a loving Father. He starts to tell us that we are His children, the apple of His eye. He starts to tell us that just with one look, we ravish His heart. With just one look, we take His breath away. According to the Song of Songs. He goes on and he tells us that all our sins have been cleansed and forgiven by putting our faith in Christ, past, present, and future. That we are washed. He tells us we have destiny and a plan that we've been given gifts. That we are really worth something because Jesus paid the ultimate price for our lives, which is beyond price. It is priceless, which is his blood himself. He tells us that our past no longer defines us. That all things are passed away. In Christ, all things, all things have now become new. And there's no boundary for the Christian anymore. Your education or your lack of education, it doesn't put any boundary. Because by the grace of God, he's going to make you into what he wants you to be. And you're going to fulfill the calling on your life. And we hear these truths, but we don't believe them. And we don't believe them because all day long we're absorbing just heresy from voices and from people and from things that are speaking to us counter to the Word of God. I want you to write this down. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Heresy is destructive because our feelings and our behavior is determined by what we believe. Heresy is destructive because our feelings and our behavior is determined by what we believe. Think about it. Think about how you felt this past week. I've talked with a few people that have been going through a lot through this coronavirus lockdown and what's been happening. Maybe nobody called you this week for any fellowship and you sat at home alone in your house or you sat at home alone in your apartment. And what happens when you're there alone? Well, many times there's this flood of emotion, this flood of feelings. You feel like you're unwanted because nobody reached out. You feel like you're a loser. You feel like you don't belong in the church. That somehow uh, nobody recognizes you, nobody sees you, so therefore you don't belong there anymore. Maybe somebody wrote a nasty email to you and sent it to you from work, and and you got it, and it it just struck you to the heart. Maybe someone posted something about you on social media, went after you, made a comment about something that you posted and just ripped you apart, and now you have a heaviness, this heaviness that just fills you. You can't sleep at night. You can't wake up in the morning. You feel so depressed you don't even want to go to work. And the question then is this, why do you feel that way? Where are those feelings coming from? Where's the depression coming from? See, you have to understand, we interpret our circumstances through a grid of our belief system. No one reached out to me this week is interpreted through what you truly believe. And if you believe all the heresies that you've encountered in life that have told you you're a loser and you're worthless and no one wants you around, then you interpret the fact that nobody reached out to you through the lens of, I guess that's right, I am a loser and nobody wants me around. And we get to a point where suddenly there's these thoughts that come into our minds. Maybe I don't belong at church like I said. I've been at three or four other churches and I felt like nobody's ever reached out to me. So maybe I should give up with the body of Christ. And the feelings then leads to our behavior. We withdraw. We say no, we shut ourselves down, we cut ourselves off. We 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 live in a place of self-pity. But when you truly believe the word of God and you interpret the fact that no one reached out to you through the grid of God's word, your feelings and your behavior begin to change. You start saying, "Wait a second, I'm a precious child of the living God." wait a second i do have something to offer for people and god did place me into a church into a family because there's things that he's invested in me that he wants me to give out to other people and i am worth something because god paid the highest price for my life which was his blood And you start saying, you know what? Even though people didn't reach out to me, I'm not going to sit here in a place of self-pity. I'm going to get up, grab my phone, and call that guy that I met at the men's retreat or call that woman I met at the woman's night of worship. I'm going to reach out to somebody because I have something to offer. You begin to say, you know what? When I come to church, I'm not just going to sit in my seat and not talk with anybody. I'm going to go up and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Where are you from? I'm going to invite people to dinner at my house. Do you see how your belief system will lead your feelings? It will lead your behavior. And if heresy gets in there, it's destructive because what heresy does is it warps the belief. It warps the truth. And if you're not believing right, you will not feel right. You will not act right. It all stems from a roots. But Peter goes on. He goes on and he warns us, not just of heresy and false teaching. He warns us of a second attack that comes against our belief system. And this one's really important. Watch this. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 9. Let me read it to you. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Now this is interesting because Peter goes from talking about False teachers and heresies and how we have to guard our heart against it. And then suddenly he starts switching and he's speaking about two trials that are spoken of in scripture. One dealing with Noah and one dealing with Lot. And as I'm reading this and I'm in my bathroom, again that's my study, and I'm pacing and I'm praying, I'm thinking to myself... Why in the world is Peter mentioning Noah and Lot here? i got to be completely honest. If I was going to mention some type of example from the Old Testament, I would probably pick somebody like Abraham, Joshua, David, it wouldn't be Lot. Lot, above all, would have not made the list. He would not even come to my mind. And to be honest, Noah, as good as it is, and the story is great, I don't think I would have picked him either. So I'm thinking in my mind, why did Peter choose these two specifically when he was talking to the church, when he was talking about guarding our belief system against attacks? What is it about these two men specifically that he's trying to bring out? Well, let's go through it. Let's think about it. Noah was told by God to build an ark in a time when there was no such thing as rain. And you know what Noah did? He obeyed God day in and day out for years. Not only did he obey God in building the ark, you know what else he did? He went out and he street preached. He proclaimed of coming judgment. He tried to save as many people as he possibly could. And let me tell you what happened to Noah. You want to know what happened to Noah year after year after year after year? Did anybody convert? Did anyone come and help him with the ark and say, hey, we see what you're doing? God obviously said, no, 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 no. You want to know what happened to Noah? He was rejected and he was ridiculed. And then you switch to Lot and you think about Lot. Think about Lot's life. Lot was a man who made a terrible mistake. He was tempted to give in to the comforts of this city called Sodom and Gomorrah instead of living out in the fields like Abraham, right, in his tent. He was tempted, and he made the decision to move his family into a place of comfort, but where they would literally be encircled. They would be surrounded by all types of immorality and depravity. And the Bible tells us because he made that choice, he suffered a heavy consequence. The Bible says he lost his home, he lost his wife, and he ended up sleeping with his two children. And both trials attack your belief system. They attack the truth of who God says he is and who he says you are. They go after it. Think about it. In Noah's trial, he felt like God had let him down right? I did what God told me to do. I I was out here every day building this ark. I'm preaching the gospel. Can you imagine preaching for eight years? No converts. How many of you would be supporting Nicky if he was out there for eight years and no one gave their life to Christ? Honestly, right? You, You wouldn't even be out there for eight years, right? You'd be done. Eight years this man stood there and he's thinking, I've been let down by God. I followed God, I obeyed God, and and you know what? He never came through the way I thought he was gonna come through. And then you had Lot, who felt let down by himself. It wasn't a God issue this time, it was him. I made a mistake. I did something that was wrong. I knew not to cross the line. I felt the warnings in my heart, and I crossed it anyways. And I've suffered the consequences for my mistake. And the thought is, how do I live with myself? How do I live with this for the rest of my life? See, in Noah's case, the attack on your belief system is you begin to question the love of God. You begin to question whether he really is a good father. Why would he let me do this? Why would he send me there? I've obeyed him, right? But in Lot's case, you know what happens to your belief system? You begin to question whether or not you're truly a son or a daughter of God. You start thinking, have I crossed the line now? Have I gone so far? Is this mistake so terrible that somehow God has lifted his hand from me completely? And now that I've walked through these consequences, does he have anything for my life? Is there anything else that I'm going to be able to come into? Have I blown it all away? See, we live in a world that's filled with heresy, that's attacking and fighting against the truth of God's word. And if that's not enough, we go through trials that shake our belief system to the core. And what Peter is doing is he's telling the church, you have to guard the truth that's inside of you. You have to lay hold of it because if you don't, you will lose it. You'll still be a Christian. You'll still come to church. You'll probably be involved in all types of Christian activities, but you'll never come into the peace. You'll never know the joy. You'll never know the boldness and the freedom of what Christ really purchased for you through salvation, what he wants you to truly walk in. So here's the question I want to end with. How do we lay hold of the truth? How do we guard it? How do we keep it against all the other voices, the heretical voices that are around us that are trying to take it away from us? And how do we keep it through trials that cause us to question and doubt our Father in heaven and our our adoption as children? How, How do we do that? And there's two things I want to give to you today, and then we'll close it up. Number one, the first thing you have to do, and I'll put it on the screen, is you have to make the truth personal. It's got to be personal. Look at verse one again. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying... Listen to this, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Do you want to know why heretics are so bad? It's not because they deviate from Christian principles or Christian doctrine. You don't want to know why they're so bad? The Bible says because they deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. Think about those words. Let me just quote a few of them to you. Deny. Lord. Bought. Me. Do you know what that verse tells me when it comes to the truth? It tells me that the truth is supposed to be a personal thing. It's supposed to be personal. Personal. Many of you, when you heard me say we need to hold on to the truth, the first thing that probably popped into your minds, because you've heard a million sermons, even me preaching from the pulpit, is, oh, I know what we need to do. We just need to read the Bible more. Just be in the Word of God. It, It washes over our mind. Yes, that is partly true. But if you're in the Bible and all you're reading about is Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the world, and you never see Jesus Christ who died for your sins then the truth will never straighten out your belief system. It will never impact you. Jesus didn't die for just everybody else. He died for me. And until you see how sinful you truly were and what it cost him, the humility of what he did coming down to this earth, the love, the commitment, the fact that he literally altered himself for all of eternity, taking on a body never to be the same because he loves you so much. Until you get that, then all the heresies and the trials will prevail. You'll believe that more than you'll believe him. Your own heart will not accept the truth. It has to be personal. Well, how do I make it personal, Pastor Michael? How how do I get that? Because I want that, right? Well, it's simple. You ready? We need to learn to depend on the Holy Spirit more. What did Jesus say? He says, I'm going to send you my spirit, and he's going to lead you into all truth. He said, he's going to take what is mine, and he's going to make it yours. He's going to make it personal to you. See, so many times as Christians, we know all the spiritual disciplines. Oh, I should be reading. I should be praying. I should be fasting. I should be at church. And we do it all. We we kind of just just check them off the list little by little. But in the whole time that we're doing it, we're forgetting the Holy Spirit's. We're forgetting the one that God actually sent to us to lead us into the truth. Do you know what I'm doing most weeks when we're in worship? When I'm down here just singing to the Lord? When I'm here and I'm just singing, I want you to know I'm always in prayer. You know who I'm praying to? I'm praying to the Holy Spirit. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to show me God's truth again. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to make it personal to me. I don't just come in here just to say, well, I'm just gonna listen to a bunch of information, or I'm gonna listen to myself preach, or I'm gonna listen to Nikki, or I'm gonna listen to somebody else. I come calling on the Holy Spirit. I come reminding the Holy Ghost of His roles and His responsibility in my life to make truth personal. So that I'm not just getting a head full of knowledge, but it's striking me in my heart and it's causing me overwhelmed with a response of love, a response of fortitude that I didn't have before. And I'll be honest with you, I got a lot of things going through my mind when I come to church. I have the message I'm trying to get together. I got worship team I'm trying to follow and watch. I got everything that's happening. And sometimes, sometimes I have to change my body position just to get my mind to focus and to pray out to the Holy Spirit. So I'll come up to the altar. I'll bend my knees. I'll bow down. Whatever helps me to refocus so that I don't spend that time just literally rambling off a bunch of worship. But I spend that time calling on the Holy Spirit. I wonder what church would be like if all of us when we came to church didn't come for a service but we came and we called on the Holy Spirit we prayed to the Holy Spirit we cried out to the Holy Spirit I wonder if suicide and depression and the things we struggle with would finally be broken off of our lives once and for all When I read my word, before I ever read a chapter, before I ever read a sentence, I pray for at least five to ten minutes to the Holy Spirit. I ask the Holy Spirit to make the word real to me. I ask the Holy Spirit to take these stories that have been written through the history of time and to apply them to my life. I don't want to know what David did. I want to know through David's circumstance what God is speaking to me. I want to hear things that are personal to my heart. This is the only way your belief system can ever be straightened out. This is the only way your feelings can be fixed. This is the only way you break free of wrong behavior. There's no other way to do it. Number one, you have to make the truth personal. Number two, and I'll close with this. This one's a little bit more tough to explain, so just bear with me believing times is when god reveals his love and his assurance to his people believing times is when god reveals his love and his assurance to his people let me read a scripture Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. Can I read to you a quote from a Puritan writer that I was reading last night or this week? I was telling Beth I was reading this writer. Listen to what he says. He talks about this verse, and it's profound. He says, As you are in the very exercise and acting of faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ... The Spirit of the Lord makes sure and seals up to you your adoption, your reconciliation, your pardon, and everlasting inheritance. Listen to what he's saying, because it is profound. When you're put into situations where you have to depend on God more deeply, when you have to exercise faith, those are the seasons that the Holy Spirit comes and takes the truth that you've heard about in church and makes it personal to your heart. Let me show you another scripture. Watch this. Romans fifteen thirteen says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. As you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Watch this. When does the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace? When does He make His sacrifice and what He says about Himself and about us personal, so that joy fills our hearts? When does that happen, according to the book of Romans? When we trust in Him, when we exercise faith. That's when the Holy Spirit comes. And he says, this is when I make things personal. So how does that apply to us as a church, as a people of God? Well, I'm just going to say it. 2020 was the worst year ever. Since I've been alive, it blew. Right? And how many of you can say, because of this year and what we've encountered, I've been put in a place where I have to depend on God more than I've ever had to depend on Him before. Where I've had to exercise faith on Him and His promises in ways that I've never exercised faith before. And you have to understand that now that we are in this place where faith is being exercised and there's a dependency on God, now there is an open heaven for the Spirit of God to move and to show us things of our adoption, to show us things of our assurance, to show us things of God that we've never seen before in our Christian journey. This is the season that God wants to reveal truth to His church. And we have to be careful Because the first response of our flesh, the first response of that fallen heart that's inside of us, the first response of the enemy that's yelling those voices into our ears is when we go through times of dependency and of faith, what we want to do is we want to run from God instead of running to God. And the first thing that goes out the window is our times in prayer and in the Word. Netflix goes on. Fox News goes on. CNN goes on. And we spend hours in the TV... We stop coming to church. Some of you at home, you're listening to my voice. It's not even coronavirus that's an issue anymore. Now there's been habits that have been established in your life that you're having a hard time breaking. You don't belong at home if you feel comfortable being with other people. You belong in the church of God. Now if you feel sick or you're at risk or you're not comfortable and your conscience says, no, I need to stay home, we support that as a church. But some of you are not home because this isn't an issue of conscience or worry about being sick. You're at home because you've got comfortable being away from the body of Christ. And now we're in a place where there's trials and things going on, and instead of pressing into God, we're sitting back in our lazy recliner seat, and we're holding back from God. And God is saying, if you would just understand that it's the seasons of faith, it's where you exercise faith, that's where my spirit moves the most profoundly in your life that this is the most glorious season for the church if we don't retreat, but we begin to press in. If we begin to pray together, if we start opening up the Word, if we start calling out to the Holy Spirit, this is the time that God wants to put a boldness in us again where we know who we are in Christ. I know I'm a child of God. Prison or not doesn't matter because I've had it sealed in my heart by the Spirit of God. God is saying, this is the season. This is the time. The greatest blessing you'll ever have is going to come through 2020, not after 2020. And I'm not saying this because I'm angry or I'm mad or I'm frustrated. But this is how the word of God works. He says, you want to hold on to truth? You want to fix that belief system so you have right feelings and right behavior? Then number one, number one. You gotta make the truth personal. You gotta start depending on the Holy Spirit. You gotta start calling out to Him. You gotta start relying on Him. He's been left to you. You put Him on a shelf. If you got the gift of tongues, you need to start praying in tongues again. When you're at home, when you're in your car, let that gift fly. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit, it edifies you. We need to start depending more. And we need to start recognizing that the season that we're in right now where we're exercising more faith than we've ever exercised in our Christian journey is the season the Spirit of God says, this is when I make truth personal. And don't retreat from me. Press into me. Amen. Stand with me, church. Stand with me. Ministry altar team, if you'll just come down to the front. You just come down to the front. You just stand here. I'm not going to have an altar call today, but I'm going to pray for us as a body. I'm going to lift us up as a body. Actually, I'm going to have Anthony, Elder Anthony. You could come up. You'll lead us in prayer. But after we're done, if you're in this place and you say, "No, you know what? My belief system has gone a little crooked. I'm not trusting God and believing He is a good Father, and I don't believe I'm really His child. Something's gone crooked." And I want to get that straightened out. I want you to come up after service, after we dismiss, and pray with one of these prayer ministry teams. They're gonna pray for a touch of the Holy Spirit to open up truth and to make it personal to you again, to straighten out those crooked places and this pray for encouragement. They're also up here to pray for any need you might have. You might say, hey, I have a financial need, I have a health need, I have problems. They're up here and they're gonna pray for you and you could come up after service and receive prayer. You could receive prayer. But I'm gonna ask Elder Anthony if he would come up. And if you'll pray for us as a congregation for the Spirit of God to make truth personal again and to straighten out these crooked belief systems, to protect our hearts from heresy as we close, let's lift our hands to God. Let's all together agree in prayer. Thank you. you.
1: Jesus. Jesus. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you that it pierced through our hearts, it cut through our, our doubts, it cut through our facade, it pushed past all the lies that we have been hearing on social media, the news, our families, the, the things that our very own hearts pump out and filter to us, God. The, the, as we read the scriptures, the arguments that pop up and say, well, that's probably not true or that's probably not for me. And we gloss over it and we skim past it instead of digging deep into your word, God. Instead of digging deep into what you've called us to. Instead of digging deep into the promises that you have promised us, God. Made by a holy God who cannot lie, who's unchanging, who is eternal, who is independent of all systems, everything depending upon him, God. Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us again just the magnitude and the wonder of who you are. Like the song we sang today in worship, lead us into wonder again, God, to remember how amazing you are, to remember how worthy you are, to remember how glorious you are. As that scripture said, the master who bought us, that the master who bought us for a price, redeemed us and paid for us, who labeled us his sons and his daughters and and made it unchanging, who in his eyes, in the courts of heaven, we are sons and daughters of the living God. Would you shift our hearts again, Lord Jesus? Would you move us out of the places of comfort that we've gotten in in these seven months of COVID? Would you get us away from taking the news and media as that's absolute truth and getting us back into the Bible and getting us back into the knees, drawing us close to the wooing of the Holy Spirit? to learn that voice, to learn that unction, to learn it again, God, to let your presence manifest in our lives. Thank you, oh God, for this season. 2020 has been rough. The year is coming to a close. But God, thank you that you're calling us out in this season. Thank you that you're purifying your bride in this season. Thank you, God, that you're going to bring deliverance and healing and miracles. And the church is going to grow through this season. Even though it looks like it's trimming, there's a major trimming coming to, this, to the hedge of the church, God. You are working in your people. You are giving us fortitude and strength, God. Renew us, oh God. Renew us, O oh God. Don't let us leave. Don't let us be the people that just walk out when your word goes forth, God. Help us to tarry and linger. Help us to care more for your word, for your truth, than above all of, all of our other needs and the cares of this world, Lord. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you not just in form and, and just the appearance, not lip service. We need you in, our, in the very depths of our souls, God. It needs to be real. It needs not just, not just to be right doctrine and right and just right ideas and right arguments, oh God. But we need your spirit to change us again. To make us upright men and women. Sound in mind and, and heart. God, we need you. God, we need you. God, we need you. Jesus, we bless you. Jesus, we honor you, God. Glorify your name in the midst of the people here in Springs Church, oh God. Transform our families, our jobs, everything, God, and it's in the circle of our lives, God, our grandchildren and our children. God, we need you. In Jesus' name.
0: Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.